Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Folks, you may have seen it. Um, if, if, if you have, you're going to see it again. But uh, quite possibly, this is not a comedy show. I get it. This isn't like the Howard Stern show or anything. But the funniest video, I'm not kidding. I think I've seen it a long time. Um, if you haven't seen it, I'll get to that. We'll do a there's a little comedy segment, intentional and unintentional, in the middle of the show today. And in that comedy segment also is a statement by Twitter. Get a load of this. Twitter. The cat thing is funny. The Twitter statement is even more hilarious unintentionally. Twitter are now advocates for for free expression. <laughs> Twitter advocates for free expression. That's That'll be the comedy segment in the middle of the show. Got that and a lot more. Today's show brought to you by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today. Get a VPN. Do not wait. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. I've got that. I've got some more Milton Friedman videos. You can never go wrong with that. I know, I, but at the audience feedback, people love them in regards to the Democrats' new plans to absolutely decimate and destroy the U.S. economy. Uh, don't miss that and a lot more loaded show. As I said, today's show brought to you by ExpressVPN. I've been talking about them on my show for months. Why are you waiting? Do you not have a VPN yet? Well, why not? Maybe you thought to yourself, hey, this is America. We have free speech and privacy laws. So you hesitated. Maybe you believe that the Congress wouldn't allow big tech to censor and spy on you. And so you didn't act. Ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you this right now with the Democrats in charge of government and your liberty under attack from all sides. There has never been a more important time to protect your digital rights and privacy today, right now. That's why I and thousands of my patriotic listeners secure their online data by using ExpressVPN. I open up every show with them. Do you believe uh, that a VPN isn't for you because you can use the Internet just fine without one? That is not true. With the recent actions taken by big tech to control our digital lives, we're all at risk of being spied on. You confused about how it works? It's super simple. ExpressVPN is an app for computers and smartphones that encrypts your network data and reroutes it through a secure server. means you can use the internet more anonymously without having your online activity tracked and then sold. You think VPNs are complex and for tech experts, take it from me, they're not. You just tap one button, an app on your phone, and you are protected. I trust ExpressVPN to protect my online data because they're rated number one. They stand for my values. Now is your time to take a stand. Take back your privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Again, that's expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Get an extra three months free. Visit expressvpn.com slash Bongino right now. All right, producer Joe, let's go. All right. All right, video no- <laughs> excited today. Yeah. Video number one. Uh, we got another sellout in the U.S. Senate on the Republican side. Uh, Louisiana alleged Republican Senator Bill Cassidy opening his big yapper after day one of this ridiculous impeachment farce that really nobody cares about at all. You would think, by the way, this would be the number one story everywhere all over the news, right? What have there been? Four impeachments in U.S. history? We've had two, two in the last... Uh, calendar or not calendar but chronological year 365 days we had two of them nobody cares about this impeachment it is the biggest farce ever it's hilarious in its stupidity trying to impeach in a trial a president that's no longer president but bill cassidy alleged republican senator from louisiana joe after just what a couple hours of opening statements granted that weren't particularly great by one of donald trump's lawyers but i think david uh uh David Schoen did a, another one of Trump's lawyers. I thought he did an excellent job. Uh, Bruce Castor did all right. It wasn't great. So Bill Cassidy decides, 
He's an impartial juror as a senator. You know, the senators are going to obviously judge the Senate trial. So, Joe, he's an impartial juror, Bill Cassidy, which Uh is weird because impartial jurors usually wait till the trial is over before they open their big flapping mouths to (laughs) the media and start bad-mouthing people in their own party who are fighting the free speech fight of their lives. That's what I would do, but I'm not Bill Cassidy. He's a senator. He's smarter than this idiot Armacost and this dope Bongino. He knows more than us do. So Bill (laughs) Cassidy ran right out in front of the cameras to virtue signal everyone and tell them what an impartial juror he is despite the fact that he's opening his mouth, showing his impartiality after just day one of hearings. Check out this spineless coward, Bill Cassidy. I said I'd be an impartial juror. Anyone listening to those arguments, the House managers were focused, they were organized, they relied upon both precedent, the Constitution, and legal scholars. They made a compelling argument. President Trump's team were disorganized, They did everything they could but to talk about the question at hand. And when they talked about it, they kind of glided over it, almost as if they were embarrassed of their arguments. Now, if I'm an impartial juror, and one side's doing a great job, and the other side's doing a terrible job on the issue at hand, as an impartial juror, I'm going to vote for the side that did the good job. What a sleazeball this guy is, huh? Look at this cat. That'll make sense in a few minutes. (laughs) <laughs> Everybody's laughing because they know where I'm going. If you saw the cat video, you know what I'm talking about. What a sellout. Joe, you know that line we use often in the show? Sure. <laughs> Remember G- that movie G.I. Jane, one of the worst movies in the history of humankind, but yeah, I can't I stop know. watching it. It's like that Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie over the top. It's <laughs> terrible. It's so terrible. It's great. So I've watched G.I. Jane. I've seen it probably 50 or 60 times. It's always on like TNT or whatever. And there's a line in the movie. So Bill Cassidy, uh, spineless Bill, jellyfish Bill, wants to make a statement about how he's an impartial juror and gives a statement about how he's not an impartial juror. How he, he, He's already out there. Critic- he hasn't even seen the end of the trial. And he's already talking about that. And it reminds me of that statement in G.I. Jane. When she runs into the, the the SEAL base, the CO, his office, the commanding officer of the Navy SEAL base, she's trying out for the Demi Moore character. And she's like, you know, I'm not trying to make a statement here. And he's like, he gets up. Are you in here barking at me? People who don't want to make statements don't make statements about not making statements. So my recommendation to Bill, and I'm going to move on because I'm not, this impeachment thing is stupid. There's nothing to cover. It's dumb. They're impeaching a president who's not the president to try to remove him from office, despite the fact that he's not in office. I'm going to I'm going to waste maybe a minute of the show on this every day. We're moving on. But people who want to make statements about not being impartial, about being impartial, don't make statements that are not impartial. Just shut up. That's my suggestion to Spineless Bill. Your soup cooler. Zip it. Maybe hear it out first before you jump to conclusions. Nice to know we got such strong GOP senators, right, Joe? Such loyalists on our side. So eager to throw the president under the bus. All right, moving on to more substantial stuff rather than this ridiculous impeachment farce. So um, this is one of those tough blocks because I like to give you an overriding narrative and and kind of dictate how we're going to go forward here in this segment of the show. And the only thing I could really think of here, because this is important given this already disastrous Biden presidency, is... If you are still one of the suckers out there on the left or even a weak kneed Republican or, you know, kind of a a middle of the road Democrat, and you still believe the hoax 
that the Democrats are in it for the little guy and they are not the party of the elite and connected. I covered this last week when I was in Houston doing the road shows. Then you are insane. I'm very sorry. I don't mean to insult you, but if you're really buying the scam that Democrats were in it for the little guy, we're a champion of people who cannot be heard. That is such garbage belied by the facts that I'm really sorry you're immune to common sense. So I've got three, four stories I want to motor through and some video of Milton Friedman entirely annihilating these stupid arguments at the end. So story number one, again, keep this in the context of how Democrats are not in this for the little guy. It's all a marketing scheme. It's the pet rock all over again. Look at this. You all need a pet rock. Why? I can get a rock from my garden. You need our pet rock. It's a special pet rock. Huh? Remember all the people who fell for that scam, Joe? Yep. The pet rock. People loved it. To buy a pet rock. Here's story number one. Democrats, we're in it for the little guy. We're taking care of these struggling college students. You are? Really? Because the data doesn't support that assertion at all. Wall Street Journal article today. The great student loan scam. Democrats lobby Biden to write off debt for affluent borrowers. Affluent borrowers? I thought the Democrats were the party of the little guy. <laughs> you fell for that? What a dope. Screenshot from the piece. So who is this? student loan forgiveness proposal, who is this really going to benefit? Well, let's go to the numbers. Joe, they're the party of science, the Democrats. So let's go to the science of actual numbers and arithmetic and things mm -hmm. like data and see who this student loan forgiveness, air quotes, is actually going to benefit. Quote, Wall Street Journal, University of Chicago study in December estimated that the top 10% of house. Wait, am I reading that right? Is that the top 10%? That doesn't say the bottom 10%. No, it says the top. Okay. It estimated that the top 10%, Paula, is that, can we get a double on that? She's giving me a head nod. The top 10% of households by income would receive seven times as much of a benefit from a $50,000 student loan write-down as the bottom 10%. Uh, doctors and lawyers with six-figure salaries should be able to repay their loans and don't need the $50,000 write-off. I think thought they were in it for the little guy. So then we do a study on who this student loan forgiveness proposal would benefit. We find out it would benefit the well. I'm not attacking the wealthy. I don't need the write-off. Don't give it to me. I don't want it. But it would do it at the expense of the bottom 10% who are going to pay taxes to support a student loan write-off for people with the most debt who are at the higher end of the income scale. And that makes sense to you be be because... Because, because why? Because we're in it for the little guy. The little guy. You're full of things that rhyme with hit. You're just making that up. There is no data at all to support your assertion that your student loan forgiveness is fighting for anything other than wealthy families. Please stop the nonsense. Stop telling us transferring our money to the government and the government then taking the money I've worked for and others and you have worked for to pay off wealthy families who took out a lot of student loan debt. How is that fair again? And I'm going to get to these Milton Friedman videos in a minute where he entirely annihilates this stupid idea that somehow giving money to the government to redistribute to others is ever fair. They're classics. All right. Second article. Democrats are in it for the little guy. Really? 
Here's another one. Americans for tax reform. Elizabeth Warren, this was in yesterday's show notes. Please subscribe to the show notes or the newsletter. It's the same thing. Bongino.com slash newsletter. We'd really appreciate it. It allows us to communicate with you directly. Elizabeth Warren introduced a $2.75 trillion wealth tax in the Senate. You may say, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. We're really going to tax the snot out of those wealthy folks. Really? Because when you do actual economic studies of these wealth taxes, you find out that the wealth tax accumulates year after year on assets you've already paid taxes on. So if you happen to be wealthy, and the definition of that changes all the time, which is convenient— and you've bought a house or assets and you're taxed on your overall wealth, even though you bought those assets on taxed income, income you already paid taxes on. And then every year you have to pay a taxes on those assets. Well, what's going to happen, folks? People are going to start selling assets quickly, right? And moving their money into various other entities and other countries, maybe, and other places where they're not taxed. No, you didn't really think of that, did you? And what happens when that happens? The jobs these evil, wealthy people support, the same ones, by the way, you're giving a massive tax benefit to through the student loan forgiveness. They don't see the irony in that at all, though. The same ones you're taxing, you're then giving a benefit to from the student loan thing, are going to take their jobs and their businesses and go elsewhere. But don't worry. Don't worry. The Democrats are in it for the little guy. Don't you worry. Don't ask any questions. Here's another one, Wall Street Journal today. The cost of killing the Keystone XL pipeline. Even their Democrat allies are asking Biden to reconsider his executive order. Remember, they're in it for the little guy. Killing jobs, giving a student loan benefit to wealthy people who don't need it. All about the little guy, folks. Um, killing jobs to a wealth tax. So this Keystone Pipeline, I thought they were about the little guy and solid middle class union jobs, because that's really weird, because when Biden signed an executive order canceling the Keystone Pipeline, he, in fact, de facto fired union workers with solid middle class jobs. But I thought they were in it for the little guy again. What is wrong with me? Why can't I get my story straight? Well, here are the facts again. 14 Republican state attorney generals wrote to Biden asking him to reconsider his Keystone diktat. The AG said Monday, uh, excuse me, said that Montana will lose 58 million in tax revenue with the cancellation of Keystone and quote, five of the six impacted counties are designated high poverty areas. Gosh, that's weird. Again, I thought they were in this for the little, what am I missing here? Quote, so your decision to shut down the project means less money for schools, less money for public services, and the elimination of business and job opportunities in those areas where they are most needed. So again, I'm just having a tough time making sense of this. So on one hand, the Democrats are fighting for a salt tax exemption to be reinstituted in high tax liberal states that gives a tax break to very wealthy folks who pay high state taxes because they have high incomes. So the Democrats are fighting for that salt tax. They're also fighting for a student loan forgiveness uh, program that benefits wealthy households seven times more than poor households. So they want to fight for tax breaks for the rich, the salt exemption and a student loan plan that helps them while simultaneously taxing the rich to pay for the rich's own tax benefits, do a wealth tax and canceling middle-class jobs, middle-class jobs that pay into a tax pool in Montana that benefit the poor. But don't worry. The Democrats said they're in it for the little guy. Here's my final gem of the day. In the Democrats are now the party of the elites and the anti-science party. The New York Stock Exchange isn't moving yet. 
They want to revive a stock transfer tax. You're like, oh, that sounds great. We'll hammer those rich stock traders, those bunch of idiots. A revived stock transfer tax that is moving in Albany could force us to find a new home, the New York Stock Exchange. Probably saying to yourself, that's a great idea. We need one of those federally. Sell a stock, you rich stock losers. You should pay those, you wealthy Thurston Howell-like zeros. Lovey, lovey. You should pay that transfer tax. You deserve it. Yes, lovey. Well, what's that transfer tax actually going to do? Remember science, science, Joe, science. We're doing science, science and facts. So let's see what it is. So, so, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Is that what the pop culture means? I actually used to like that song. Do, 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 do. <laughs> science. Well, here's actual science and facts. Of course, this is going to be immune to Democrat skulls where this information won't process. They don't have to think past the talking point. Stock transfer tax. That'd be great. Hammer those rich people. Quote, Wall Street generally won't bear the burden of the stock transfer tax. The end investor will ultimately pick up the tab. The levy would be explicitly passed back on customer orders. Oh, gosh, liberals, you didn't really think of that, did you? They're like, I don't care. Those customers are wealthy losers. I hate them all. Uh, not really. Quote from the piece. There's also an implicit cost as market participants forced to pay the tax incorporated into their prices, raising the prices paid by individual investors. Hmm, this doesn't, this is getting bad really fast. Vanguard estimates that a financial transaction tax of 10 basis points would force retirement account investors, oh my gosh, that sounds like me, to work roughly two and a half extra years before retiring to reach the same savings goals they might have achieved without the tax. Damn, that blew up in your face quick. I thought this they were all about fighting for the little guy, the Democrats. But now you're telling me this stock transfer tax, which is going to eat those rich, is actually going to help uh, hurt the retail investor and his pension fund, and they may have to work two and a half years longer to reach the savings goals they had to survive. That doesn't sound good, but liberals, again, don't let facts and science. Don't let that get in the way of your stupid talking points. <laughs> We're dealing with an imbecile class. You understand that? I'm not kidding. Some of you, I know, I know, that, ah, you don't have to always read the audience feedback. I do. It's your show. I get emails once in a while. Dan, I wish you'd be less harsh on the liberals. I'm sorry. I can't. I'm angry at their stupidity. It is rank stupidity. I was a conservative when I had no money. I was a conservative when I was middle class. I'm a conservative now that we've been successful thanks to you. Because I believe in facts and economics and data. Liberals just don't. And I'm just tired of the stupidity. All right, let me get to my second sponsor. On the other side of this, though, I want to play for you two cuts from a Milton Friedman clip where he explains to you why this Democrat approach that the government is going to solve all your problems by taxing and giving your money to other people is just purely idiotic. Idiotic. It will you pay attention. These two are the best clips you'll ever see. Miss <laughs> Brophy, and she was my sixth grade teacher. Pay attention, Daniel. I think her and uh, my mom are the only people who call me Daniel. All right. Today's show also brought to you by, I, I love this spot, but I quietly worry about reading it because I always get hungry when I read this spot because I love their food so much. All right, Joe, let's try to get through this without All salivating because right. I love this food. Get the Have you ever wondered what makes Omaha steaks so darn good? It's the aging process. Omaha steaks ages their steaks at least, 20, at least 21 days because that's the sweet spot. It's where the magic happens. It's that meat juicy and tender. Cut it with a plastic butter knife. Cut it with the side of a spoon. 
You can try these mouthwatering steaks in the Butcher's Best Sellers Grill Pack. Get this today. Treat your taste buds to a glorious feast of four of their iconic. I would put that in there. That was cool, right? Omaha, I'd like some feedback on that. Paula's like, I don't see that in the read. It's a, it's a glorious feast for your taste buds of their iconic and fork tender butcher's cut filet mignons, four ultra juicy, savory burgers, four beautiful, delicious pork chops, desserts, and so much more. How do you get this incredible deal? Go to omahasteaks.com, enter Bongino, B-O-N-G-I-N-O, into the search bar for a special price on this butcher's bestsellers package, plus... You'll get four more chicken breasts and four more of those delicious burgers for free. Omaha Steaks has been the leader in gourmet steaks and food since 1917. No one matches their flavor, tenderness, and the value. Every order is flash frozen, vacuum sealed, safely delivered in a cooler with dry ice. Stays ready to cook in the freezer for months. Our freezer is packed with it. Go to omahasteaks.com. Type Bongino in the search bar and order the Butcher's Best Seller Pack today. Do not wait. Treat yourself and your family. Don't forget, you get four free chicken breasts and four burgers. That's omahasteaks.com. Keyword Bongino. Send a pack to your neighbor and then go eat over your neighbor's house for dinner. Buy one for yourself too. It's a great way to roll. Omahasteaks.com. Keyword Bongino. All right. Thanks, Omaha Steaks. I got through it. Believe me, in my head, I'm thinking of a, a burger tonight. We should do that. Throw that in there. She agrees. All right, folks. Here's these videos I was talking about. Milton Friedman was just um, a master of the ability to relay an idea. You know, some of the greatest players in sports and human history became terrible coaches because they weren't very good at explaining why they were very good. Maybe their genetics, they never had to practice that much, right? But Milton Friedman explained things like no one else. God rest his soul. And uh, in this block... I've been trying to explain to you why Democrats' policies of taking your tax money, expanding their power, redistributing and using their power to take your assets and give them to others will always fail. It is never for the little guy. It always winds up crushing the little guy. But no one explains it better than Friedman. Here's cut one. I want you to pay very close attention to this key takeaway from this Friedman club. It's about a minute and 12 seconds. He's answering a question from a liberal gentleman who asks it nicely, but he says, hey, if we just tax people and take away their money, it's a really great idea because we tax them and then we make them work really hard to get their money back. And therefore, they're working extra hard and we get to give away their money to people who need it. Now, if you're a liberal listening, you've stopped listening there because you don't think critically. You're like, that makes a lot of sense. That sounds great. Uh, no, it doesn't. It's really stupid. And listen to Friedman explain why. Check this out. Isn't there some benefit to having the government steal our money, which is what they do effectively, they'll hold a gun to our head and say, pay us 40% of your income or go to jail. They take this money and they give it mostly to government employees. Well, the government employees spend it. The marginal propensity to consume is pretty high. So the people who were robbed have to do something creative to get the money back. And isn't this creative activity the real wealth well, I take it that they would have to be still more creative if 98% were being spent by the government. <laughs> no, the third part of your thing is just pure fallacy from beginning to end. <laughs> because if those people who are now government employees were employed in creative activity and productive activity, they would also be spending their money. And we'd have a greater total around. All you're doing, let's suppose for a moment, take the extreme case that that 40% is being used just to have people uh, uh, sit around. The fact that they spend their money doesn't alter the situation. 
The only product there is is what the 60% produce. And that 60% is divided among the 100%. <laughs> Poor guy. Don't ever ask Milton Friedman a question you don't know the answer to because these videos are everywhere on video formats out there and you can see them. And Friedman never, ever loses a debate. And the reason he never loses a debate is because, again, liberals never process facts and data. They don't. They believe in talking points. This guy... Very gentlemanly question asked in a respectful way, but he gets owned by Friedman because he doesn't know anything. That made actual sense to him, Joe, that if we tax people and take 40% of their income, it incentivizes them to work more because they have to work extra hard to get the 40% back. Meanwhile, mm. sane people like me and Joe actually work for a living, <laughs> unlike that guy. He may have. I don't even know if he's still alive, whatever. I don't know his name. Say to ourselves, well, that doesn't exactly make sense. If the harder we work, the less money we make because the government takes more. The incentive is to do the opposite, is to work less, to make less money so we don't have to pay as much taxes and can actually keep relatively the same amount of money because if we worked less, we'd move into a lesser tax bracket. That's the sane person approach. Friedman makes another point as well, that taxing a group of productive citizens to pay others not to work means less production of the stuff that makes us wealthy. So taxing people excessive confiscatory amounts tautologically doesn't make us better off because we'd produce less stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, what makes us wealthy is not talking points. What makes us wealthy as a country is stuff. As terrible as sounds to say, it is true. We are wealthy because we produce cars and homes and medical services, legal services, digital services. We produce tech products. We produce stuff. That's why we're wealthy. The difference between us and third world countries is they don't have stuff we have. So taxing people who make stuff to get them to make less stuff, to give the money to people who don't make stuff is a recipe for poverty. Think it through, man. Taxing middle class and poor people, taking their money to give to the sons and daughters of doctors and lawyers to pay off their kids' student loan bills when they can pay it off themselves is insane. Here's the second part of this clip. It's about another minute or so. There's a line I use in the show often about the great fallacy of government spending where people think, oh, it's not that bad. You know, government spending is great because they think, don't worry, they're just spending my neighbor's money. Well, it's interesting because the neighbor thinks the same thing about you. This is where that came from. You've heard it on my show often. Check this out. If those 40% are also producing goods and there are more goods to go around among everybody, you are just involved in a fallacy of looking at dollars, which is important sometimes, instead of looking at the real product, the goods and services that people produce and people consume. Spending isn't good, what's good is producing. What we want to have is more goods and services. And as I say, the obvious indication that that's clear is that if your logic were right, it would apply it for 50%, 60%, 70, 90, 98, 100%. And obviously you would see that that would be a bunch of nonsense at that stage. It is desirable to have some money spent by government. For those things, those services, that we believe we can get more usefully and more effectively through government. 
If people are getting their money's worth, fine. That's why it's very desirable to have governmental expenditures take place at as local a level as possible. Because you, as a citizen of a small community, can judge whether you're getting your money's worth. You can decide that you want to spend it. But when it comes to the federal government, you tend to think that you're spending somebody else's money. And you are, in a way. But he's spending yours. <laughs> the man's a genius. What else? The man is a genius. A real life lived in our time, well, some of our time, lived in my, genius, genius. There is simply, maybe outside of Thomas Sowell, who was probably either, I don't know, tied or a close second. There's probably no one in our time in this generation who did a better job explaining common sense economics than Milton Friedman. Of course, that's the attitude of liberals. Ah, don't worry, I'll, you know, student loan stuff, pay off. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's fight for the students. <laughs> Don't worry, it's not my money. It's the neighbor's money. The neighbor's saying the same thing about you. Genius. Genius. All right, moving on. This is the uh, <laughs> the comedy block of the show, Block C in TV lingo. Now, let's first start with the, well, they're both kind of unintentional comedy. This video I'm going to show you is classic. You probably, if you've seen it already, forgive me. I really wanted to be the first to put this because my podcast usually launches first before the big guys, Ben and the other ones. I really want to be the first to put this video we're going to play in a minute up, but Tucker beat me last night. And I was really miffed about it. But first from the unintentional comedy portion, here's Twitter. Twitter, apparently the government of India has demanded they block certain Twitter accounts. Twitter's saying, ah, you know, we're really pissed about that. And here's what they tweeted out. This is not a joke. This is an actual tweet by their at Twitter safety account. This is not an attempted humor. This is a real tweet by Twitter. However, we've not taken any action, talking about the demand to block Indian accounts, on accounts that consist of news media, entities, journalists, activists, and politicians. We will continue to advocate for the right of free express. Oh my gosh, this is, this is really hard to believe. We will continue to advocate for the right of free expression on behalf of people we serve and are exploring options under Indian law. Folks, I mean, this really, it, how do you describe this other than shameless? Isn't there a show on HBO? Is that is it an HBO show or show, shameless or is that Showtime or whatever? How do you describe this? Are they even reading their own tweets? So on the same day, literally this morning, they announced that they are banning Trump forever. Trump is banned forever from Twitter. He will never be allowed back on, even if he runs for office. They announced that this morning. They dramatically missed some of their estimates, Twitter, for DAUs, daily active users, which I've been telling you is the key metric. Forget about accounts. It's daily active users. They get none of it. With, without an ounce of irony, after banning that, uh, President Trump, conservatives, libertarians, and liberty lovers all over the world, Twitter actually sends out a tweet suggesting they are, quote, advocates for free expression. That's hilarious. And candidly, folks, I don't know why to this day you still tweet there. I don't. I, I'm sorry. I mean, you should just, you should go on a, everybody should go on a one-month Twitter hiatus. Don't have to close your account. You may want to go there. I go there sometimes. That's how I got that. And I read some news. But why you're providing to them your valuable thoughts and free content, a, a site that really, really hates your guts. I don't understand. I don't get it. Here's some more unintentional comedy up with Twitter who, I mean, really, you talk about a face plant sending out a tweet saying they're advocates for free expression. You're probably all laughing at that one. Have you seen this? 
This video will go down in history. I'm sorry, I don't usually do a lot of these lighthearted cat stuff segments, but this is one cat video you all have to see. This is a video from a Georgia courthouse. I believe it was a maybe federal, I'm not sure. But you're going to hear a judge talking about the beginning, and they're doing a Zoom hearing, a hearing over Zoom, the electronic teleconferencing platform. And uh, there's, there's two lawyers there. And you'll see if you're watching on Rumble, if you're not watching this on Rumble, please, the video is a thousand times better than the audio. You're missing everything. Go to rumble.com slash Bongino. One of the lawyers in the hearing, it opens up with the judge. He goes on to the Zoom and I guess he was using his assistant's computer who must have been Zoom chatting with someone else and had a cat filter up. This is real. Watch the hilarity that ensues here. This is just as funny as Twitter's tweet, uh, Twitter's tweet about being advocates for free expression. Check this out. Chaponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, you might want to uh, uh, take, take We're trying look. to, we're tr can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live, it's not, I'm not a cat. I can, I can see that. The greatest line, the greatest line ever in the in the history of America's funniest home videos. Although I'm dating myself, we used to use camcorders, right? Uh, I'm here live. The guy's voice is and the guy's been a real saint about it. The guy with the cat filter on. He's like, listen, if you all need a good laugh, have it. So God bless me. I think his name's Ron Banton or something like that, the lawyer. But the best line of the whole thing. I'm really here, Judge. I'm I'm not a cat. And the judge. The judge. Judge goes, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, I can see that. I can see that. It is, I, I saw that last night and I rarely do this. I saw it online and Paul and I, we had a, yesterday was a very busy day. A ton of stuff happened. I got some really big news yesterday, by the way. Some good stuff is happening. I'll be able to relate to you over the coming months. Everything's about to explode for us, which is really good. But it was a busy day, nonetheless. And rarely do I keep a website up for an hour or so just to make sure I don't forget to show Paula when she came in that you all needed a laugh. Now you got it. I mean, that is just, that's a real video. Poor guy had the cat filter up and you got to see the cat's eyes. And he's like, Judge, I'm, I'm sure you I'm really here. I'm not a cat. But then he says, too, well, I don't mean to belabor this, but this is hilarious. Paula, did you hear the part where he goes, um, I can't figure out a way to turn it off. But uh, I'm willing to just proceed with the cat filter. Can you imagine if that hearing went off? Your Honor, Mike, I object. I, a few good men. I strenuously object with the cat filter on. Can you imagine that? Or even better, if it was like a code red situation, like a few good men. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth with the cat filter on. Would have been the greatest trial in the history of legal action, deserving of its own Mac Matlock episode with the cat filter. You can't handle the truth. Did you order the code? You're damn right I ordered the code red. And the cat's arguing back. <laughs> so, listen, it's copyright DMCA stuff, so I can't do it, nor would I try. But if someone goes out there and redoes A Few Good Men with Tom Cruise and the cat filter, I'm just saying, I can't do it. It's copyright stuff. I'm just saying that might be really funny. Here's an even better suggestion. There's an account on Twitter, uh, Cat Turd. We love Cat Turd. He's the best. I don't know who it is, but there's a Twitter account, literally Cat Turd. I think it's Cat Turd, do. Cat Turd has made a career out of cat memes. 
Maybe Cat Turd should get involved in that. I'm just throwing it out there, just a suggestion. Let's get back to the center here. <laughs> I'm not a cat judge. Yeah, yeah we, we, we can see that. All right, I got to see. Let me get to my third sponsor. More serious topics coming up next. I've got two town hall pieces that are must-reads today. They'll be in the show notes, bongino.com slash newsletter first, uh, which can be coming up next. We have to rethink our strategy on the right. We have to start adopting the tactics of the left. Oh my gosh, they're uh, they're evil, awful people. Yeah, and they're winning. So I'm going to get to that. You're going to want to miss that. And I also want to get to how we have some good news coming up. All right, today's show brought to you by... Uh, Helix Sleep. Well, I needed less night. I slept like a baby last night. Helix Sleep is a quiz. Why do they need a quiz? Well, they need a quiz because you're going into a mattress store and you're buying a mattress made for someone else. Why would you do that? Take their quiz. It takes two minutes. Two minutes. I did it quicker than that. Two minutes to complete and it matches your body type and sleep preferences. It's the perfect mattress for you, not for someone else. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? That makes no sense. With Helix, you're getting a mattress you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everybody's unique. Helix knows that. They have several different models to choose from. Soft, medium, firm, mattresses for cooling if you sleep hot like I do. Even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. I took the quiz and I was matched with the Midnight Lux mattress because I wanted something firm. I got a little bad shoulder thing. I like the firmness, a little bit of support there. It's been awesome getting unboxing videos from so many of you found the Helix mattress of your dreams. So if you are looking for a mattress, take the quiz. Order the mattress that you're matched to. Not some mattress for someone else. It comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Helix is the best. You don't need to take my word for it, though. They were awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by both GQ and Wired Magazine. They have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights, risk-free. Take the sleep trial, 100 nights. You're going to love it. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't. You will. Helix offers exclusive discounts for military first responders, teachers, and students because they're a great company. They do the right thing. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go today. Helix, H-E-L-I-X, helixsleep.com slash Dan, helixsleep.com slash Dan, helixsleep.com slash Dan. All right, getting back to my content here. So Town Hall is a terrific piece. Again, you can access it through the show notes. I encourage you strongly to read it. Bongino.com slash newsletter is how you subscribe to the notes, the newsletter. It is the same thing. Please subscribe. Allows us to bypass the tech tyrants and speak directly to you until they shut down email, which will probably be next. So here's article number one from Town Hall, and it is uh, very, very well done. And it talks about how we need to rethink our tactics. I've been talking about this over the past two weeks. Joe, you can attest to this. How the left has adopted Saul Alinsky's rules of organizing and winning, and conservatives are always hesitant to do it because they feel like, oh my gosh, if we just talk about bigger, higher order principles and ideology and facts and data all the time, we'll win. That's important. I just did it with the Milton Friedman segment on how government taxation doesn't work and actually hurts the little guy. We just did that. And it is important for us to know more than the left. Because it allows them, and I'll cover this in the second town hall piece, to get them out of their comfort zone. I'll explain what that means in a minute. It is important to be smarter than them. Ignorance is not bliss. But it's also important to realize that talking constantly about marginal tax rates, student loan tax redistribution schemes and other stuff, knowing about that is not enough. We have to understand strategy too. And strategy and ideology and two plus two equals four mechanical thinking is not going to win elections. I'm sorry. 
Town hall piece number one. No, that's town hall piece number two. We have to rethink our strategy right here. Headline, Rachel Alexander. The right needs to start thinking in terms of chess moves and less going, uh, going in defense mode. Bingo. You're darn right, Rachel Alexander. Read this whole piece, but here's a screenshot from it. Again, how we need strategy and not just mechanical, well, our ideology is better. Yeah, we know that. We have to start thinking messaging and strategy too, and those aren't always the same things. From the piece, quote, the left comes up with harebrained schemes all the time. It's overdue to start labeling them as conspiracy theory. Yeah, that's right. Put them on the defensive, wasting time trying to refute the label. That's what they do to us. It won't be easy for us. You can't just come up with this kind of thing off the top of your head. The left as well-paid politicos sitting around in think tanks pouring hours of time into this type of opposition research. Our side tends to rely on volunteer bloggers. Once we decide one of their criticisms is a conspiracy, uh, Spygate, uh, collusion hoax, we have to be ready to defend our argument with a list of evidence, including analogies to real conspiracies. Otherwise, they will defeat us with Saul Alinsky's rule number three. Whenever possible, go outside the expertise of the enemy. I was going to say bingo, but I already said that. And it's a very overused word on television. Eureka! There you go. Ronald Reagan went to Eureka College, didn't he? What does that mean? Folks, how did we beat down the left over time? Messaging-wise, I'm not saying it was a tactical victory, but messaging-wise, how did we beat down the left on the collusion hoax? Well, we never stopped calling it the collusion hoax, despite every new shred of fake evidence they produced. Remember the fake evidence that Mike Flynn contacted the Russian ambassador when he was the appointed national security advisor? That was fake. Remember the fake evidence that WikiLeaks leaked some secret information to Don Jr.? Fake. Remember the evidence that was it uh, Michael Cohen went to Prague to take money from the Russians for the Russian collusion scam to go on? That was fake. No matter what fake evidence they produced, we beat them back. You may say, all right, was it a total messaging victory? No, probably 40% of America, maybe 50% still believes in the collusion hoax. But in the past, it would have been 90%. How did we do it? Two ways. By doing suggestion number one, Rachel recommends, by calling it what it is. It's a conspiracy theory. And make them waste their time fighting back on that. But secondly, we have to know the case better than they do. It's our obligation is twofold. To understand messaging. It's a conspiracy theory. It's a hoax. And never, ever deviate because it was. They do it to us and they force us to defend ourselves. Let's let them do the same. But secondly, we have to know the case better than MY. Saul Alinsky's rule number three, whenever possible, go outside the expertise of the enemy. Here's what I've found in my now 10 years in politics. And I'm not kidding. Ladies and gentlemen, the left knows nothing. Whether it's been my debates with liberals on Fox News, my debates with liberals running for office, I can tell you with a straight face, I can't think of a time, oh, egomaniac. I'm not being an egomaniac. I'm trying to honestly, I cannot think of a time I've lost the debate where I've walked off a stage and been like, gosh, that hurt. I can't. And it's not because I've been gifted with intellectual powers far superior to anyone else. That's not it. It's just leftists don't know anything. It's like debating a, a kindergartner. 
Everything is out of their comfort zone. Saul Alinsky's rule number three, get the left outside of the expertise of the enemy. He would say the enemy's the right. I'm switching it around. Let me give you a quick example. Remember the Spygate panel, Paula, at the Politicon in Los Angeles? I'm on a Spygate panel at Politicon, this liberal event. But they asked me to go out and debate the whole Spygate scandal, which was real. The collusion hoax was fake. So I'm on the panel with two total zeros, uh, David Frum and this guy, Jason Johnson. Folks, they had no expertise on the Spygate scandal. None. They had no answers at all. So within five minutes of the debate, when I start spouting facts about the Trump Tower meeting and who was actually there, people who are working with people working with the Clintons, they lost their minds. The moderators dropping F-bombs on me, cursing at me. The panelist, David Frum, is like scratching his head in fear. He doesn't know anything. Jason Johnson's going off like a lunatic. They couldn't handle it. They had no expertise on the topic whatsoever. And I'm telling you, 90% of the people there, if they were liberals or conservatives, after five minutes of this debate, realized what a clown show these collusion hoaxers were. Call them conspiracy theorists, which I did. Hit them with facts they don't have. They have no response. When we walked off the stage, by the way, because the moderator decided to drop an F-bomb on me, not well, that was never going to go over well. I think the whole, how many people were left, Paul? Like 10 people? The whole room left with us. It was great. Know the case. Know it well. Understand your ideology. Understand Friedman's talking points. Understand Friedman's logic. Understand why this stuff doesn't work. And then secondly, on the messaging, whenever they bring this stuff up, attack them fiercely with this conspiracy theory line because it's true. Most of what they say is a theory of a conspiracy that's fake. Here's Alinsky rule number two in action. Town hall piece number two. Brad Slager. Democrats are challenging two election results while somehow not attacking our democracy. Wait, wait, wait. How, how exactly is that? What's another one of Alinsky's rules? Make your political enemy abide by their own rules. So what was the rule we all heard, folks? What was it? Facebook, Twitter, liberal media titans. They said you are not allowed to question elections. It's anti-democratic. Okay, well, let's let the left now abide by that same rule. Look at what's happening now in these congressional races. Strangely enough, the left is challenging elections, and yet there's no call by Facebook to shut down the left. I thought that was anti-democratic. Hold them to their own rules. From the town hall piece. A motion was filed last week to stall the confirmation of Republican Claudia Tenney in New York, she's a congresswoman now, for reasons we've been told are troubling and offensive. This is the Democrats' case against this Republican congresswoman who won in New York. In this case, there's a reason to believe that voting tabulations machines, hundreds, if not thousands of valid votes and undervotes, and that these tabulation machine errors disproportionately affected Brandeisi, the Democrat. What? In a filing made by Mark Elias, Democrat lawyer guy. Amazingly, the town hall piece goes on. There were no blaring headlines and columns and inches of it dedicated to this treasonous behavior. On Friday, after three months of counting, recounting, and suits being filed, the courts ruled in favor of the Republican Tenney. Brindisi has uh, since, I believe, conceded. But I, 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 I don't get it. I thought we were told by Facebook 
Twitter and the intellectual scions in the media that questioning elections and blaming vote tabulations and machines was anti-democratic. We were told that, right? Joe, did, did you, yeah. you, we were told that, right? We were, Joe, this was funny. Me uh, and Joe were allegedly going to be fired from a company we don't even work for. We only work with. If we dared mention the election, that remember that hilarious story yes. that we just love bringing up because it's so humorous. Joe and I laugh about it all the time. It's really weird. Now you have a Democrat lawyer, Mark Elias, blaming voting machines for the loss of a Democrat congressman, and yet Facebook isn't banning it. And Twitter, I, I, it's, gosh, that's just, that's just so strange. It's just it's so strange how that, how that happens. Make them abide by their own rules. I would expect everyone today would be sending out social media messages on various platforms, calling out the Democrats in this New York congressional race for being conspiracy theorists. They're blaming voting machines. That's a conspiracy theory. We've all been told that. I would expect you'd do that. It's fair as fair, right? All right, let me get to my next sponsor. And Paul, I'm going to throw a little uh, wrinkle into the show today. Uh, we're going to do, can we do that Florida and Washington Post block? Washington Post block, what's coming up next? Oh, even the Washington Post is starting to acknowledge that the 2020 election may not have been as bad for the Republicans as everybody heard. Everybody's making it out like, I'm not doing the catastrophes. We're all going to lose. Forget it. I'm not voting ever again. We're, ah, I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. An enemy is only vanquished when he considers himself so. I cannot give you that quote enough. Who is it? Aeneas who said that? I don't consider myself vanquished. If you do, that's up to you. I will fight and until I got nothing left to fight for. I have to go since I went out of order. But. All right, today's show, this is going to be a funny read because this is, I, so here's the story. Magic Spoon is a sponsor today. It's the best tasting cereal I've ever had. So I, I like to show the product on the show. You know, if you go to rumble.com slash Bongino, you can check it out. So I said to Paula, you know, I love Magic Spoon. You know, cereal was one of my things growing up. I love cereal, but it was full of sugar and a lot of junk. So Magic Spoon, they've released a brand new variety pack. They now feature peanut butter. They've released peanut butter as a limited edition flavor in 2020, and it's sold out three times because you all, my listeners, bought Magic Spoon to keep going back because it's so delicious. Peanut butter's gotten so much love, they've decided to keep it permanent and add it to their bestsellers variety pack, which includes frosted, fruity, and cocoa. Zero sugar. You hear that? Zero sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving of Magic Spoon. Only 140 calories a serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. I'll tell you why this read's going to be funny in a minute. But go to magicspoon.com slash Bongino today. Grab a variety pack and try it today. You will love it. Be sure to use our promo code Bongino, B-O-N-G-I-N-O, at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their delicious product. It's backed with a 100% happiness, happiness guarantee. You don't like it? Any reason. They'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Bongino. Use the code Bongino to save $5 off. Thanks, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring the episode. Again, go to magicspoon.com slash Bongino. Here's the funny part. Is, so I like to show the product. Hold on. So I go down. I go down. I got to get away on my mic. I have a bad habit of doing that. I go down to get a box. So Paula's like, no, nah, no, nah, there's no more left. The kids ate it all because Magic Spoon sends us some and we eat it right away. I mean, we literally just got this. So I go and I go, no, nah, there's a box, which is good because I was going to have some. So I grab this. This this is uh, peaches and cream. 
I love my daughters, but they love putting empty boxes. Not a joke. I did not spend the box is empty, but it's sitting in my closet because my daughter, Isabel, who I love to death, um, always puts empty boxes back. So it's a trick. You're hungry. You're like, yes, pieces and cream, magic spoon. None left. You may say, all right, Dan, no big deal. One box. No, no, no. Here's the other one. Here's strawberry. This is not a joke. Here's, I didn't tell Paul about it. Here's strawberry. That's empty too. <laughs> Two. No, no, there's another one. Not a joke. Here's another box of strawberry. Look at this box. Empty too. I mean, there is, there's like four O's in here. There's, thank you, Magic Spoon. Can you send us some more, please? Because now I'm hungry. Not a joke. That really happened. So what Paula said was accurate. There is no more Magic Spoon left. But what she was inaccurate about is there were definitely boxes. There's just none in there. <laughs> Throwing me a curveball as I open my closet to eat. All right, let's go to this Florida story from the Hill because I want to leave you with some good news. There is good news, folks. I know it's really dour, down times. Really, I get it. You know, uh, between the disastrous Joe Biden presidency and some of the abominations legislatively coming out of this White House and the Democrat-run House and Senate now, you're like, I'm giving up for a while. Some of you, please don't. Let me give you two good stories. First, The Hill. This will be up in the show notes again. I encourage you to read it. Florida Democrats mired in division and debt ahead of 2022. Ladies and gentlemen, this story is important because it's not just about Democrats in Florida. It's about a national strategy to move back, dust off. We lost in 2020. We lost. Joe Biden is now sadly sitting in the White House. It stinks. But it's time to dust off and get up and think about 2022 and 2024. I know a lot of you don't want to hear it, but I got to talk about it anyway, because it's the right thing to do, not the easy thing to do. What's happening in Florida right now is exactly what we did in the Obama years after two disastrous losses to Barack Obama to not only build back the party, but to get us to Donald Trump in 2016. We did it at the state level, and that's happening right now in Florida, where the GOP is wrecking the Democrats on the ground. Two things here about this story, and you can read them for yourselves, but there's two takeaways. This story about the Democrat Party collapsing in Florida is a roadmap. Any rebuilding efforts of our party that you think are national have to start local and in the state. They have to. Because you can only vote in your state. There's very little you can do nationally outside of sending money to politicians you like on the national level running for the presidency. You have to start locally. These state rebuilding efforts, there are two takeaways. The GOP is doing a very good job here in Florida. Number one, rebuilding in the state. It allows us to elect majorities of Republicans in those states who then can go do things like change election laws so we have free and fair elections like forcing actual voters to show an ID to vote, a common sense thing. You have to show ID to buy Allegra in a drugstore. We can change election laws for the better, change tax laws in the state to grow economies locally, change immigration laws within the state. We can change the composition of state courts in some of those elections to get conservatives on the court who actually believe in the Constitution. This all starts locally where your vote matters more. Remember what Friedman said in the beginning of the show in that segment. The reason local taxation and local rule matters is because if you're taxed locally, you can see if the money's being spent efficiently. You don't know what mm -hmm. happens to it when it goes to D.C. Act locally. 
right now. My elbows don't bend, dust off. We need to get back up and start thinking, what do we do with our county councilman, our local mayor, our state representatives, our state senators, our congressmen, congresswomen, senators at the state level, governors? How do we start that now? So takeaway number one, any national change is going to happen at the state level. How do I know that? Because we did it in the Obama years. We built intrastate momentum in the Obama years. The only thing Obama was ever good for was Obama. He got reelected twice. And at the state level, there was a near wipeout of the Democrats' base. We took over mayorships, county council seats, city council seats, governors. We had three Republican governors in Illinois, Massachusetts, and Maryland in the Obama years. We wiped them out. It starts local where your vote matters more. Your city council race, your vote is far more affected by simple math than your race for the presidency. It's time to start there. We already did it during the Obama years. And it gave us a strong base to get to the Trump 2016 election. The Florida story about the Democrats is not just about Florida. It needs to happen in Texas. We need to start rebuilding the GOP in Colorado, get New Mexico back to a swing state. That's where it happens. So some good news. Here's some more good news. Rarely do I put a piece by the Washington Post up in the show notes, but this is worth your time. Aaron Blake, Washington Post. Republicans came within 90,000 votes of controlling all of Washington. Republicans. Did he get that title wrong? No, no, he didn't. Democrats are finally starting to acknowledge after licking their chops and celebrating their defeat of Donald Trump. I say that with uh, air quotes. Look at us licking our chops. You dopey Republicans. We kicked your cabooses all over the place. Now some Democrats in the media are starting to realize that this victory may have been Pyrrhic. It may not have been the victory you thought it was. Well, Let's go into some numbers, right? This is from the Washington Post, not Bongino.com, by the way. Quote, Aaron Blake. While Biden won the popular vote by more than four points in the Electoral College 306 to 232, the result was much closer to flipping than most would suggest. Biden won the three decisive states, Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin, by 0.6 percentage points or less, which was similar to Trump's 2016 victory. Meaning, folks... If you flip fewer than 43,000 votes across those three states, the Electoral College would have been tied 269 to 269. In that case, Trump would have probably won the presidency, given that the race would have been decided by one vote for each House delegation, which is run by Republicans. Interesting. 43,000 votes. Democrats are licking their chops about how wonderful their decisive national mandate. National mandate? Certainly wasn't for the presidency. You got by with a sliver. Barely. But what about the House races? Surely they did a lot better in the House. It was a real wipeout there. Eh, eh, not so much. Republicans picked up a whole uh, pocket full of seats. Here's from the Washington Post piece, where they start to acknowledge even that race wasn't that great for them race for the House of Representatives. The number of votes to flip the result, in other words, if it would have been a GOP House, was similar in the House of Representatives. 
Cook Political Report notes that in light of Claudia Tenney's win, that congresswoman we were just talking about in New York in the town hall piece, fewer than 32,000 votes could have flipped the five seats the Republicans would have needed to win the House majority too. Illinois 17th district, Iowa's third, New Jersey seventh, Texas is 15th, and Virginia's seventh. So just to be clear, we were 43,000 votes in a country of 330 million people from winning the presidency, according to the Washington Post, only 32,000 votes from taking back the House of Representatives. Now you see why I'm not ready to quit anything? And I'll give you one more. We were only 14,000 votes away from taking control of the Senate. Certainly doesn't sound like some national mandate and a wipeout to me, does it? I'm not giving up anything. Not even close. Liberals are obsessed with me and my show, and we get hit every day with all kinds of new nonsense. And you know what? We keep coming back every single time. It only feeds me further, man. But not with Magic Spoon, because we're out. So please send us some more and replace those empty boxes. All right. Thanks for tuning in. I want to get to this segment tomorrow on the teachers unions. It's important. They have totally overplayed their hands and they are just right now licking their wounds. It is really bad. I'm going to get to that story tomorrow and a lot more. A couple of requests. Please subscribe to my video show at rumble, rumble.com slash Bongino. We are at, are we at 1.5 million yet? No, we're not there yet. We're almost close. We're at, 1.35 million subscribers. There it is on my phone. Rumble.com slash Bongino. The damn Bongino show. It's free. It is of no cost to you. Free. You watch the video. Watch that cat video today. You're going to love it. And please make BonginoReport.com your new home for news in the morning. It's like opening up your morning newspaper on your computer. The best conservative news stories of the day. You're going to love it. It's your alternative to the now liberal drudge report bongino report.com thanks for tuning in folks it was a little hyper today i'll see you all tomorrow you just heard dan bongino